You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys this morning. How we doing? Yeah, that's the last time you get to hear that wonderful music, so feel, uh, feel sorry for yourself. No, it's good to be with you guys this morning. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim. I'm currently on staff as a church planter, getting ready to be sent out next year to plant a church called Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, super excited. Thanks. Uh, super excited to be closing out our series in the life of David. But before we get there, I just want to remind you, next weekend is Celebration Sunday. That is where you clap. So Celebration Sunday is coming up next week, and this is something we do. So if you're uh, not aware, if you're new, we are part of what we call the family of churches. So we are three local churches in and around the Columbia area, Midtown Downtown, Midtown Two Notch over on Two Notch Road, and Midtown Lexington. And once a year, we get together to celebrate on Celebration Sunday what God is doing across our city. And so we do that by having people get in a pool of water and go under the water and come back up in this Christian tradition, this biblical mandate of baptism as a public representation of what God has done in their lives. That they are saying they're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so we celebrate that. We go crazy. It's a party. And then we head outside and continue the party uh, with free food and free games and all of that. And then we get back together that night at 5 p.m. to worship and to pray and basically ask God to do it again, that we, he would do more of what we got to celebrate that morning. And so that's coming up next Sunday, all three churches together, one gathering at 10 a.m. So don't show up at nine, you'll be an hour early, or do, that'd be great, because uh, then you'd be on time. Uh, but one gathering at 10 a.m. coming up next Sunday, looking forward to, to celebrating together. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we're gonna dive into God's word. Y'all pray with me. Father God, we are so grateful God, have another Sunday where we get to gather with your people. We get to sing about how good you are. We get to sing the Psalms, these ancient prayers and songs that just reflect on you and your greatness and your kindness and your mercy for us. Would you help us this morning, God? Would you quiet our hearts? Would you quiet our minds? Everything that's calling for our attention, God, would you push that away so that we could focus in on you and what it is that you have for us this morning? I love you. I need your help. Pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll grab a Bible. We're going to be in three different Psalms this morning. We're going to look at different uh, pieces of each of those psalms, Psalm 103, Psalm 13, and Psalm 42. As we close out our series on the life of David this morning, we're going to be talking about David's inner life, David's inner life. Before we get there, though, I want us to take a second to consider our inner lives. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a member here this past week, and he was asking me, Tim, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I told him David's inner life, and his response half-jokingly was, well, not looking forward to this coming Sunday. (laughs) Don't want to have to think about that. What my friend was joking about, I think a lot of us feel the reality and weight of. We have a tough time with our inner lives. We have a tough time with what's going on inside of us. And culturally speaking, this is a big point of emphasis right now, right? Maybe more than ever, we hear all of this talk, all of this, hey, I'm not sure that we're all doing okay. 
We're realizing as a culture, as a society, that what happens in our lives, what we experience, has an effect on us, not just externally, but internally. And if you're paying attention to the statistics, it actually affects us a lot. So I'll give you just a couple of the more recent ones that I found helpful. So right now in America, out of American adults, roughly 18% of the population has been diagnosed with some level of anxiety. Almost one in five. One study done last May found that about 40% of Americans were more anxious at that moment than they were a year prior. Right now, an estimated 7% or 17.3 million U.S. adults are or have walked through a major depressive episode over the last year. The suicide rate in our culture continues to climb. It's up about 24% in the last 15 years or so. As of last year, 42%, almost half of American adults have been to a professional counselor or therapist. So it seems like in our Western myth of continual progress that everything should just be getting better, right? After all, in a lot of ways it is, right? So we have crazy technological advancements. We have an amazing globalization of society where we can get anywhere in a matter of hours. We have all of this cool stuff, this good progress happening in our society, and yet the reality that 42% of us have gone to a professional counselor or a therapist is saying, hey, something's off. Right? Can we all be on the same page here? We are waving the white flag going, I don't think we're all doing okay. Like something's going on inside of us. Something is happening in our inner lives. We need help. One of the ways that social psychologists say that we know how our inner lives are doing is how we do with reality. So, so much of our inner lives, they say, are reactions to our perceptions of the world. So not all of our inner lives, but a big part of our inner lives are reactions to our perceptions of the world. So stay with me. We perceive things to be a particular way in our lives and in the world around us. We react to those perceptions and our inner lives get affected, right? This is not everything that's going on, but much of what happens in our inner lives are reactions to our perceptions of the world. Here's the problem. Our perceptions can be reality or unreality, right? What we're perceiving can be true or not. How any of us perceive the world around us isn't always guaranteed to be how the world actually is, right? We can see things wrong. We can see things unclearly. We don't always see life or the world or God as it really is. And so life is hard, it's tough, it's difficult to navigate. And then you add on to that our perceptions of life, which can be true or untrue, real or not real, it just throws us into a frenzy. We don't know how to handle it. And we're over here waving the white flag going, I, I want to root it in our life, right? I think if you walked in here this morning, Christian or not, you would agree, I want some stability inside of me. Right, I want some health with what's going on internally. I want some rooted inner life, inner being. And what happens is psychologists have seen this, Christian and not, and all of them across the board argue that the ability to have a healthy inner life, what we all want, stability inside of us, no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, requires, a healthy inner life requires what Dr. Scott Peck would say is an ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. An ongoing process of dedication to reality at all costs. 
rooted in our life where you're able to stay grounded and centered and stable no matter what comes your way. The highs and lows, the ups and downs of life where you're rooted and you come out the other side actually more healthy and rooted and for the Christian actually loving Jesus and loving others, right? That's our goal. Our goal is to have rooted, stable, healthy in our lives. And all this leads to David, right? David, who we've seen over the past six weeks or so, has been through some junk, right? Stuff that he has done, right? Sins that he has committed against other people, this crippling guilt and shame and weight that he has experienced from things that he has done, but also things that have been done to him, right? Unjustly chased and tried to to be murdered by Saul for years, Right, kept from the throne that was rightfully his, sent back to the pasture in this time of waiting, these things that he has done and things that have been done to him, and yet you get to the end of David's life and you read in 2 Samuel that he still loves God and worships God and follows God. And so the question is, how? Right, how does he walk through all of these crazy things that he has walked through? How does he come out on the other side still loving God and following God? And I would argue it's because he has cultivated a deep relational intimacy with his father his heavenly father, God the father, that he has developed a deep relationship with him. So we're gonna see this morning as we study the book of Psalms, as we actually get a peek into some of David's private life with God, some of his inner life, his inner relationship with God. So David wrote a good chunk of these Psalms, and a lot of these Psalms became songs and prayers that the people of Israel would sing, and they were ways that David learned to navigate his inner world, and then the people of God took, and they learned to navigate their inner world. And what we're gonna do is I just wanna pull out some practices. I just wanna look at three Psalms and say, okay, what is David doing in these Psalms, and how can we take that and use them and apply them in our own inner lives, in our own rootedness with God? So I'll give you the three practices, and then we're gonna walk back through them Together, here's the three. Three practices to be grounded in reality, to join this ongoing process of dedication to reality. If that's what it means to have a healthy inner life, how, are the, how do these practices rejoin us to reality? Number one is gratitude to God. Gratitude to God. Number two is lament to God. And number three is reorientation to God. Reorientation to God. Three practices to ground us in reality. Let's look at number one together. Gratitude to God. Gratitude to God. Here's what I mean. Gratitude to God is expressing thankfulness to God for who he is and what he's done. Expressing thankfulness to God for who he is and what he's done. Let's look at Psalm 103, 1 through 5 together. David writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So I love the way David starts this psalm. He says, bless the Lord. He's talking to his soul. Right, that deep inner part of him, and he's calling it to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord, to give the Lord thanksgiving. See, for some of us, gratitude might be one of the hardest spiritual disciplines we ever do. Right, but for some of us, we just default to this kind of posture, right? This walk through life with, with cynicism, 
with, with anxiety, with frustration. This is a lot of me, so we're about, to, uh, we're about to step into one of my favorite holidays of the year coming up in a few weeks, Black Friday. <laughs> and before Black Friday, we got to get through Thanksgiving. That's my posture on it, right? So I was the person who, when they moved up the 4 a.m. times to the 3 p.m. times, I got excited. I was like, finally, we can go shopping at 3 p.m., just eat some food, and let's, let's get going real quick. I remember... I think my wife and I were, were just engaged at the time, and we were spending uh, my first Thanksgiving with her family, uh, with my, my future in-laws. And this is not a knock on my in-laws at all. They're the heroes in the story. I am not. And so we go, uh, we spend this first Thanksgiving, and we spend all day cooking this wonderful food. All day. So my family, we're lunch Thanksgiving people, because you got to get to Black Friday. Her family is dinner Thanksgiving people. Threw me off, so I'm waiting all day, Right? Turkey, stuffing, gravy, all this stuff is coming. And then as we sit down at the table, and this is like, this is going to be great. We're going to eat up. All right, somebody say a prayer real quick. Let's get going. Time to eat. And then her mom, I love my mother-in-law to death. She stops us. She's like, all right, we're going to go around the table, and everybody's going to spend some time saying what they're thankful for. And I'm like, we had 12 hours to do this, <laughs> Right? Like, this is just getting cold. Like, let's, no, no. I didn't say any of that, right? Because we're engaged at the time, all that. And I, they were right, okay? They were, they were right. But my posture, my posture for so much of life is either, hey, do we not see the bad going on? Like, all you happy people running, like, do you not see the bad? Or my posture is, well, God knows we're thankful. Or like, God knows I'm grateful. It doesn't, doesn't really matter. For some of you, oh, you're not like me. You actually have a really easy time thanking God but usually and only when it's the big stuff, right? So like, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful when the big things happen, that, that birth of a newborn child, right? That job promotion that you've been working and praying for years for, that good news that you finally received. In those moments, you're, it's so easy for you to express gratitude and thankfulness and thanksgiving, but the biblical call to gratitude is actually so much larger than that. It's so much more than just when something good happens, how we react. Let's look at this together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It'll be on the screen. David writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He says, Thank, give thanks in all all circumstances. That Greek word all, in verse 18, it's the Greek word pas, and it means all, which is what I got for three years of seminary. You're welcome. It means all, right? So my pastor growing up, he used to say all means all, and that's all all means, right? All, all circumstances, the good circumstances, the highs of life, the incredible things, the, the bad circumstances, the tough times. In all of it, we give thanks. And so what that means is that gratitude to God is not just a reaction, but it's a discipline. I need you to hear that. I need you to get that. Gratitude to God is not just a reaction. It's a discipline. It's something we go to that actually gets above and over our circumstances. And so when the Bible says give thanks in all circumstances, it doesn't actually say, hey, when, when stuff's good, right, when you get blessed, when you get that great news, it says all circumstances, good and bad. It's a discipline. It's a practice that we do. We sit down before the Lord. And we create space in our lives where we remember what God has done for us. We remember who God is and we give him thanks for it. That's what David does in Psalm 103. Right? He tells the Lord, he tells his soul, bless the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. 
then I love what he does in verse two. He says, forget not all his benefits. David's saying, hey, soul, when you don't want to, when your circumstances are pressing on you, when your situation makes life cloudy and uncertain, when stuff is not going the way you want it to, and the last thing you want to do is express gratitude, give him thanks. Remember, forget not all his benefits. And then he goes on for the rest of these verses and really this whole psalm, and he just lists all of the things that God has done for him. He says, remember, remember, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity, forgives all your sin. This God who who has healed all of your diseases, the one who redeems you from the pit, the one who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, the one who satisfies you with good. Through the practice of gratitude, David is grounding himself back around reality. What is real about God, what is true about God, and in turn, what is true about him. And we're invited to do the same. We're invited to let gratitude, the discipline and practice of gratitude, ground us back into reality. So unreality says that our jobs are all bad all the time. Right, we are tempted to live in that unreality. Gratitude says, no, God, I know my job is hard, but thank you. Thank you for giving it to me. Thank you for placing me in this position that I'm in. Thank you for the work that you are doing in me through the pressures and difficulties of my job. The unreality of life says that life group and and rhythms and gatherings are just the same old, same old. What's the point, right? Gratitude shapes us back to reality. God, thank you that I can gather with other believers. I can worship you. I can sing to you. And I can hear your word preached and proclaimed. Not just in the, the mundane, not just in the normal, but also in the hard. Right, so even when that friend betrays you, God, thank you that you're always with me. Thank you that you never leave me or forsake me. Even when those circumstances feel overwhelming, God, thank you that that it's not cloudy and confusing and uncertain to you, that you hold the future. We have to be a people who create space to get before God and to lean into the discipline of gratitude to shape us back into reality of who God is and what he's done for us. But before you hear me saying something that I'm not, the goal is not that we become a people who just run around with smiles plastered on our face all of the time. That's not the goal, and that's actually why we have number two. Practice number two is lament to God. Lament to God. Here's what lament is. Lament to God is expressing great sorrow or regret to God. Expressing great sorrow or regret to God. So a good way to think about lament is that it's learning how to grieve the reality of life. Learning how to grieve the reality of life. Learning to acknowledge and not shy away from, but rather step into the ugliness of this life, right? This life and this world broken by sin, right? These lives that we walk through that experience real hurt, real pain, real suffering. Here's how David talks about it in Psalm 13. Psalm 13, one and two. He says, how long... O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, David is saying here, God, where are you? Right, like where are you? What's going on here? This hurts. My soul is downcast. I'm crying all the day. I experience nothing but pain and sorrow. God, where are you? are you? It's this practice of lament, being honest about the realities of our brokenness, 
being honest about the realities that this world is hard and our lives are hard and we walk through real pain and real suffering. So for some of us, gratitude is what we need. Gratitude to God is what we need to redirect us to reality. Right? We need a fresh dose of, hey, God is good, and he's given us good gifts, and he loves us and lavishes grace on us. But for others of us, we need the discipline of lament to God. Some of us, we need to learn to be honest about what's really going on. We need to learn to be honest about the grief and the pain and the suffering that we're walking through. So uh, author Soong Chan Ra, in his book Prophetic Lament, talks about this really well. So he says, the discipline of lamenting to God right, of expressing your grief, your suffering, your doubts to God, pushes back on the cultural narrative of triumphalism. And he says triumphalism is the idea that, hey, don't worry about it, it's gonna get better. Hey, don't, keep pressing forward, it's gonna, it's gonna get better, it's gonna be all right, keep your chin up, get knocked down five times, get up six times. That's the, the cultural narrative of triumphalism. Uh, Christian culture has messages that kind of circle around this as well, so you might hear things like, oh man, just believe more. Like you just don't believe enough, believe more. Try harder. You're victorious. The, the burden is a breakthrough, right? The suffering is a setup. The hurting is a help, which are all alliterations, so it feels great, right? <laughs> and so we hear these messages like, oh man, is something wrong with me if I don't always feel glad all the time? There's something wrong with me if I just don't have a smile on my face all the time. When I walk in those doors on a Sunday morning, do I got to fake it? Do I got to put on this smile? And the gift, the gift of the discipline of lament says, hey, as the people of God, we can be honest. And not only can we be honest, we actually need to be honest and take our real grief and our real suffering and our real hurt and our real pain to our heavenly father who meets us where we are, who sees it. So we can actually be honest about our grief. And what happens is when we don't practice the discipline of lament to God is that we don't know how to appropriately handle the real grief and real pain and real suffering we experience. So what happens is, typically, we do one of a couple things. These are our general, typical, default responses to hurt and pain and suffering when we don't have the discipline of taking them to God. See if you identify with any of these. First thing we do is we suppress. We suppress it. It's fine. I'm, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Everything's, are you, are you, I'm fine. Totally, totally fine. We suppress it. For some of us, we distract. This is why we always have to have something that we're doing. Right? So much of our media consumption is this. So much of our inability to put our phones away is this. Right, so much of our inability to be alone and quiet before the Lord is this. We're afraid of that suffering that we've just tried to push down and distract ourselves from and forget exists. For others of us, we, we isolate, we run away. We just avoid the person or the thing that brings us hurt or pain or grief. For others of us, we have unhealthy processing. So we suppress and suppress or distract, or distract and distract, and then it just kind of wells up within us until we lash out at somebody. We don't have a good discipline of taking it before God, inviting others in to help us take it before the Lord. But, but to practice lament, to step into the discipline of lament is to go before the Lord and say, God, I recognize I live in a fallen, broken world. And suffering is real, and my pain is real, and my grief is real. And rather than suppressing it or distracting or running away from it, I'm going to step into it and through it because I know you're good and you meet me there. 
Help me define reality. That's what lament's saying. Help me define reality. God, help me when I don't see it because everything around me is hard and broken and I feel beat up. God, help me to define reality. Show me what's real. Show me what's true. Lamenting is not a category that biblical authors shy away from, but it's a practice that, that consistently Christians step into. We have a, a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, right? A whole book of the Bible dedicated to lamenting as the people of God, expressing grief and sorrow to God. Our, our Savior Jesus, Isaiah says, was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Part of being like Jesus, walking the way that he walked, is to be a people who are unafraid to step into lament, to grieve well, to grieve to God, to weep to God. Here's how uh, one pastor, John Piper, talks about it. He says, occasionally, weep deeply over the life that you hoped would be. Grieve the losses, feel the pain, weep. But then say to your weeping after a season, no, you will not define me sorrow, because my God has said, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Therefore, even though it was good in one sense, and I miss it in one sense, I trust my God, and he has not withheld anything that is good for me. Yes, let there be weeping in those seasons. Feel the losses. Then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life he's given you. We can lament because we know that lament is not the end of our story as Christians. But as the people of God, lament is not the end. We have a future that is glorious and bright where King Jesus returns and makes all things new. And so that leads us into our third practice, this third practice of reminding ourselves of these truths, and that's reorient to God. The third practice that grounds us in reality is to reorient to God. So gratitude and lament are forms of this, right? This is what we're talking about when we say gratitude and lament, these disciplines. But I want to take it a step further. So let's go Psalm 42. Uh, so in your Bible, Psalms 42 and 43 in the English Bible are separated, uh, but it's much more likely in the Hebrew text that they would actually be one, and they share a common refrain that you see three times in the two Psalms. And I want to read that common refrain for you. You find it in verse 11. David writes, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So David's not letting unreality drive him, right? I love this. He's like, hey, soul, what are you doing? Right? He's just talking to himself and not in like a weird, creepy way. He's just being like, soul, come on. What is up with you? Why are you cast down? Remember, remember God. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. Hope in him. There's a, a certain grittiness and rawness to David here, right? He's just like, like that, you know? I love that. It's like he's just sitting before the Lord just being like, soul, what you're doing is not right. You're, you're, not, you're lost in unreality. I need you to remember God. I need you to remember who he is. You're not reading the situation rightly. I'm not reading the situation rightly. This is, this is what we do when we reorient to God. We remind ourselves. We, we turn our souls. We, we put some grit and some rawness into it. We're like, come on. Come on, soul. Remember. Remember who God is. Remember what he's done for you. But in order to, to reorient to God, we need to know where we are. You need to have a pulse on what you believe is going on, on what your perception of reality is. 
So let me give you a, a really helpful, helpful hint. So we talked about at the beginning, right, how we don't always perceive reality, and that our perception of reality and our reaction to it affects our inner lives, right? So how do you know how you're perceiving reality? How do you know if you're perceiving the world rightly? Here's just a little helpful hint. I want you to be clued in. I want you to notice it and hear it when you say it, when other people say it. When you say, I feel like, anybody use that phrase? I feel like? All of us? Great. I feel like, right? You're just like, hey, what's, I just feel like, like I just, I just feel, right? Like that, we all use it totally. You all raised your hands, I saw it. When you, when you say, I feel like, what you are doing is you are alerting yourself to how you're interpreting reality. All right, so stick with me. When you say, I feel like, what you are actually saying in that moment is, my perception is, my perception of what's going on is, and my reaction to it is. That's what you mean when you say, I feel like. When you say, I feel like, what you're saying is, I'm perceiving it this way, and I'm reacting to it in this way. That's what you mean when you say, I feel like. And what we talked about at the beginning is still true here. Here's the problem. That perception can be reality or unreality. So what David's inviting us into in Psalm 42, this invitation of discipline, of reorienting ourselves, is to say, okay, I feel like this, which means I'm perceiving this. And I have to ask the question, am I perceiving reality or unreality? Now, if I'm perceiving reality, then great. Do I need to express gratitude? Do I need to express lament? Who do I need to bring it to? All of that. But if what I'm perceiving is unreality, then we go back to Psalm 42. These other key verses, this discipline of reorienting to God. I feel this way, and I'm perceiving this, and I'm reacting to it in a particular way, right? And I'm not perceiving reality. I see that. I see that I'm perceiving unreality. And so I need God's help, and I need his Holy Spirit to help shape and reorient my soul and my reality to what is actually true. Y'all tracking with me? Good? Feel great? Awesome. That's what David's doing in Psalm 42, but he's calling his inner life back to reality. He says, why are you downcast? Hope in God. Remember God. Remember what he has done. Reorient. Reorient. So I've been getting a crash course uh, in this discipline lately. So I thought about this a little bit a few minutes ago, but the Holy Spirit uh, brought a lot of conviction in my life over the past few months that I don't have time or space in my life to practice uh, the discipline of silence and solitude. Right, so I just, I just don't ever get space to get before the Lord and be quiet before him. So when I'm driving in my car to work or to the grocery store or whatever, I'm listening to the radio, right, or some podcast or Spotify, I guess would be more accurate than the radio. Right, when I, when I go to bed at night, rather than being still and quiet before the Lord, before I go to sleep, I'm on Instagram or I'm on Facebook, put my phone down and then I'm, I'm out. When I, when I wake up, First thing in the morning, right, instead of running to be silent and still before the Lord, I'm, I'm checking email, right, I'm rushing into the work day. So what I realized is the reason why I don't want to leave space in my life for silence and solitude is because I'm afraid of the thoughts that might rise to the surface in those moments. Y'all feel that right now? Uncomfortable, right? We're afraid. What's going to rise to the surface? What, what thought? What doubt? What uncertainty? So for me, it sounds like things like, man, that church plant? No way. You're going to let all those people down. We're expecting our first child in March, and so it sounds a lot like you, a dad? Come on, bro. Hey, hey Tim, you remember that sin from a few weeks ago? A few months ago? A few years ago? Hey, you remember that thing that person said to you yesterday? What do you think they really meant by that? 
we give space for silence and solitude and all these doubts and thoughts come flooding into our head. I wish I could say that every time I follow this pattern of Psalm 42 to go, are you kidding me, soul? I wish I saw this more as an invitation, right, to step in and to say, hey, no, these are lies, these are doubts, these are uncertainties, and I'm gonna look, I'm gonna see, this is how I'm perceiving And it's unreality right now. I'm not believing. I'm not trusting the Lord. I'm not following the Lord. So I need to reorient. I need to turn. I need to go and do the hard, deep work of shifting by the power of the Holy Spirit, my soul and my perception towards reality. It's the invitation of these disciplines. It's the invitation of these practices that we would be a people like David who walk through the storms and the good of life, the ups and the downs, and we come out on the other side grounded and healthy and loving Jesus and loving other people. That's the goal, and we need all these disciplines. We need the discipline of gratitude because we all so often default to cynicism and skepticism and just saying, oh, this is just how the world is. We all need the discipline of lament. We can be honest and real about our struggles. We can bring them before the Lord instead of suppressing or distracting or running away from them. And we all need the discipline of reorienting to God, right, of placing ourselves and our soul before him so that he can shape us back to his reality. That's why we have tools. We have tools and resources available to you online, stuff like go-to verses for good news. We talk about this in life group class. Not just so you can remind other people of the gospel, but so you can remind yourself of the gospel. You can reorient your soul around the good news of Jesus. This is why we have the Psalms, right? This is part of the blessing of the Psalms. We can go to them, this ancient songbook and prayer book of God's people. We can use them to shape our souls. The goal in all of this is that our perception would match reality. We would ground ourselves in these realities, that God is present and active and moving in the world, that he is after his glory and our good and our joy, that he sent his son to die for us on the cross because of his love for us, and that he has given us freely by his grace, all who trust in him, he has given us forgiveness of sins and life with him forever. And the reality that one day Jesus is going to return and he's going to make all things new. That our lament won't be forever. That our sorrow and grief won't be forever. That our struggle and fight won't be forever. We'll get to celebrate and worship him, King Jesus, forever. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you once again for your word. And thanks for, for David. And thanks for his life that we've gotten to to see and study over the past seven weeks. Thank you for the good in it that we can take and learn from and and try to pattern some of our lives after. But thank you also for the bad. We get to see that, that he ultimately is not our hope, that we ultimately are not our hope, that you and King Jesus are ultimately our hope. And so we lean into that. We press into you. We trust you. We follow you. We love you. We serve you more than anything else. Would you help us get it? It hurts to see the way that, that our inner lives are just feel like they're just so broken right now. And we want restoration. We want healing. We want freedom, God. We, we long for the day that you return and make all things new, God. But until then, would you help us to be a people that are grounded in reality? Would you help us to be a people that think rightly, believe rightly, love rightly, that that let you shape what is actually true, that are grounded because of the disciplines of gratitude and lament and reorientation, that are grounded to you and who you are and what is true about you and what is true about what you've done for us, what is true about our lives. God, we need your help. 
We need your help. Would you ground us, God? Would you bring us through the storms of life and the celebrations of life, the ups and downs? Would you bring us through all of it grounded and rooted and healthy and stable and worshiping and loving you and loving others? We need your help. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.